0: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard, much later than I wanted to be. I'm not going to lie to you. The good news is we have Internet service here at the house, finally, after a week. I want to thank the technician from AT&T. When he showed up, he said, I'm not leaving until I have you hooked up again. And I appreciate the dedication. I do. There are very few people these days that work in the service industry that have that level of dedication had somebody come in earlier this week and like, oh, you know, it's not his fault. He goes, I've done everything that I can do. It's got to be fixed on the other end. And so this new guy comes in and says, hey, I, I think I know what to do. So he gets those fine folks on the phone and says, here's what we're doing. And it works. It's incredible, too. We lived our whole lives up until, I guess, the early 90s without the Internet. Now we can't live without it. Obviously, in a job like mine that is so dependent on the Internet, I guess all jobs in many respects are now these days. been living like a savage last week, having to use my hotspot. First world problems all the way. So I'm very grateful the technician that came today got us going. It has been a very, very stressful week. As I shared on Jean's page, Mama told me there would be days like this, but she didn't say there would be this many. Speaking of Mama's raising you right, how about our buddy Jeff Simmons, right? Jeffrey Simmons. Love Jeff Simmons, man. Got a chance to see him at Omaha last year. He was so proud of Mississippi State. Came to the pep rally, took pictures with everybody that wanted a picture. Didn't ask for anything. A lot of people, you know, they kind of lose sight of who they are. Not Jeff Simmons. Jeff Simmons is true maroon. Jeff Simmons uh, donated some money to his high school, Knoxville County High School. And now the field house bears his name. He also paid $75,000 for a new turf field at the Starville Sports Complex. That's where he has his camp every year. So thank you, Jeff. It's good to see people having some level of success, giving back to the communities that were instrumental in achieving that success. And that's what you got with Jeff Simmons great guy man and uh, Jeff has been through it now it it hasn't been an easy road for Jeffrey Simmons by any stretch of the imagination everybody remembers that incident that happened and there were a lot of people in the national media that wanted to paint him in a light that wasn't accurate Mississippi State Mark Keenum John Cohen and others Dan Mullen did some incredible due diligence I understand they interviewed close to 80 people to make sure that that was not consistent with his character Still a very ugly incident. It was. There's no justification for it. It happened. Jeff's a better person today for the steps he's taken since then. Was a model citizen, a model student at Mississippi State. He's not forgotten. Also very grateful to the Tennessee Titans for taking him in the first round. There were a lot of people that said he wouldn't be a first-rounder. And you recall when he was going through his pre-draft workouts, he tears an ACL. Some of those same people in the national media and rival media had some things to say about that. And now here's Jeff being the bigger person, coming back and giving to the community. Outstanding, Jeff. I wish more people did that, more people. And you can say, well, Steve, they got all this money. That's true, they do. But how many other people have kept that money for themselves, invested in cars and, and women, big vacations, things like that? It's good work if you can get it but it makes it so much more rewarding when you see a guy like Jeff Simmons come out here and write a big check. He doesn't have to for the betterment of young people in our community. So I commend Jeff Simmons. I commend his family. I thank them for their contributions to Mississippi State Athletics. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Our buddy Damon from Grenada called and texted me earlier. was on his way to Bulldog Burger Company, had the spring rolls. He said they're outstanding. I'm not surprised. He also had the Bryant. So, Damon, thanks for supporting them. And thanks to all of you that support Bulldog Burger Company. A great place to do business, a great place to eat, a great place to meet, a great place to work. Three great locations to serve your University Drive here in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And the newest one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Roods and Flowood area. You be sure and go check them out. And, yeah, have those spring rolls. You like a good restaurant-quality hamburger? Look no further than Bulldog Burger Company. And maybe you don't fill up for a burger tonight. You're like, Steve, that's a lot of carbs for me. Maybe it is. Maybe you get that burger on a gluten-free bun or get it on a bed of lettuce. You don't have to have a bun. I've done that several times. But if you want to eat really healthy, maybe get that BLT salad. I love it. I think it's the best salad I've ever eaten. The BLT salad. I get it grilled. You may like it fried. Either way, it's fabulous. An incredible portion, too. I've never finished it. No matter how hungry I am, I always get full. Bulldog Burger Company. You will too. Go check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, we, we had a show yesterday, and we got a show today. Got a lot of response from you guys too. A lot of people reached out via social media. Say, Steve, I enjoyed kind of the deep dive into the 2021 season. I submit to you again, I don't think we're far off. I don't. I think special teams will be decidedly better than they were a year ago. And partially, it's because we've upgraded the personnel. We've also made a coaching change here, and that's not a criticism of Matt Brock. Look, Matt gets it. They weren't getting it done last year. They were great the year before. 2020 special teams were outstanding. They weren't good in 2021. Matter of fact, they were a long way from good. They were abysmal. But all that said, I expect us to be a better team. I I think another thing, too, that I learned, too, I did some math on this. I I, kind of stopped messing with it. But about 70% of our holding calls and our pre-snap penalties were limited to one position last year. And so I'm not going to sit here and just kind of lump it all on this one person, but the reality of it is got somebody different playing that spot this year. If we can just be good, we ain't got to be great, just be good, got a chance to get a lot better. All of a sudden, Will Rogers needs 10 yards to get a first down instead of 20 or 15. Those first and 20s are rough, man. There were some times last year we'd have penalties on back-to-back plays, so I again I don't think we're far off. I think it's going to be a much better season than a lot of people anticipate. I saw an article earlier, a graphic at Sports Illustrated put out where they've got State going nine and three. It's certainly possible, it's possible. I'm not expecting it, but it's certainly possible. I think nine and three is the ceiling. I think eight and four is probably the over/under, and seven and five the floor. But if we stay healthy and make these uh, adjustments. And these improvements we discussed yesterday, I see no reason State could win eight or nine games this year. I, think it's, I don't think it's out of the realm possibility at all. Again, I don't think we're far off. You may disagree, and that's okay, because I know at the end of the day you would love to be wrong, right? And you would love for me to be right about this. And uh, I'm a guy that's kind of a hope, you know, hope springs eternal. I'm not necessarily a sunshine pumper, even though I've been accused of being one. Uh, I think the reality of it is it's with – year three under Leach with a quarterback it's been in a system as a starter for a year and a half going into his third year now I just feel a lot more confident about things and I think when you look at all the starters we're returning you know two years ago we we're one of the youngest teams in the country now we're one of the oldest teams in the SEC old wins in the SEC I suggest old wins in every league we're a veteran team now took our lumps took a step forward last year, but now it's time to really contend for something of note, right? Not just needing to win the uh, Battle of the Golden Egg to get to a bowl game. So the reality of it is, got a lot of room to work, a lot of things to improve upon. We got a veteran team to do it. Now, we didn't talk about this realignment discussion, so we're going to do some of that today. We're going to spend some time talking about realignment. Now, Let's be honest about this. And I think you guys, n- nobody's surprised. This is all driven by money. Every single bit of this is about money and about TV deals and about generating revenue for your program to build facilities. You know, And who knows what the financial aid packages are going to look like two years from now. Will, will the, the players unionize? Will there be a collective bargaining agreement? Will there be a revenue sharing agreement with universities? You know, who knows? You know, we're in a time of transition. And so everybody out there is trying to get every single dollar they can. So UCLA and USC kind of started this new thing. You know, when Oklahoma and Texas announced they were joining the SEC, there was some skepticism. And I was one of those people, too. I was like, I don't know how much sense this makes. But when you look at it financially, it makes good sense for everybody involved because the TV package becomes so much more attractive to ESPN. And not to mention, how many of you are going to pack the car – and drive to Norman, Oklahoma, or Austin, Texas to watch your Bulldogs play in those venues really for the first time in a long time. You know, we went and played Texas in the early 90s. They came here. But it's a rarity, and now you're going to ch- get a chance to do that every few years. You're going to get a chance to take that trip. And so the novelty of that is going to drive attendance. You don't think when Oklahoma comes to Davis Wade Stadium, we're going to see a lot of fans there that never been there before. Wanna come here to Cowbells? Come break bread with all of us. And you know, when Texas goes and plays LSU, there's gonna be a lot of people like, hey, I've always heard about Death Valley. I wanna go see it. So it's not just the T V pack, it's just the attendance as well. And it's also good for the communities. We gotta find something and some way to kind of get people in the stadiums again. A lot of people got out of the habit of going back in twenty twenty. And we got the new balcony program here at Mississippi State that's now sold out it's interesting too in that respect and i won't spend a lot of time discussing this the very first day i reached out to mike richie you know mike mike's man that's a a great bulldog he is a great bulldog guy's been very loyal to mississippi state does a thankless job man there's nobody ever like we don't have mike richie day in historical but maybe we should i've seen this guy when people show up with counterfeit tickets the ticket window be able to kind of talk them down and kind of explain things in a way they understand people that are irate that bought tickets from some scalper and all of a sudden they won't scan and I've seen Mike handle that with such a class I got so much respect for Mike Ritchie and you should too that guy's a great ambassador for Mississippi State but I text Mike the first day and Mike was out of town I was like hey how did sales go the first day on the balconies and he got back to me a little bit later and he goes hey I'm out of town let me check and about half of them, there was like a commitment for them. Of course, they were waiting to July 1st, and then all of a sudden, we get to July 1st, we find out that, that the balconies are all sold. Now, I've got some friends that are uh, looking for some people to kind of go in with them. They have secured the balcony, and they've got some spots within their uh, their big space there. So they're going to be looking for you know ticket holders, maybe people that hadn't already bought season tickets, that think, you know what, hey, I wasn't going to buy season tickets, but you know what, I may want to try the balconies. So get at me if you're looking for those tickets. I might be able to kind of hook you up here. Uh, But all that said, there have to be steps taken to get people back. You know, we've seen Kentucky. It has kind of lowered attendance, lowered capacity. and made it a roomier and nicer bowl of a stadium. Now, outside of Kentucky is a mess. But inside, it's a very nice venue. It's a great place to watch a college football game. We hadn't had a lot of success up there the last couple of years, but – You know, for for years there, we could count on that win every year. You know, we've got to go up there this year. Perhaps we can go up there and get a W. But um, didn't play real well against them two years ago. Played really well against them last year. It's funny how that that series has kind of worked. And for a long time, it was even. Mullen gets here, and we kind of have our way with them for about a decade. And then they finally get a win against us in 16, a game that we should have won. Peter Sermon, for some reason, we like not to put pressure on a quarterback that can't throw the football. But I digress. But uh, all that said, the novelty of these new matchups, I think, brings a fresh outlook to college football game attendance. Because I want to go to those venues. I've never watched a game in Norman, Oklahoma, of any type. Now, I've seen Mississippi State play Oklahoma in baseball and see State play Texas in baseball, and I can't wait to go up there and cover baseball games in those stadiums. I mean, I'm a college baseball nerd. I want to get out and go. I want to see things. And I suspect many of you are just like me. I want to go watch the Bulldogs play in everywhere possible. Looking forward to going to Arizona this year. So with all of this, I think it kind of works hand in hand. But the driving force behind this, though, is going to be the TV deal. Now, the Pac-12 deal has lost a lot of luster. You're losing L.A., You're losing both schools in L.A. So that's a lot of TV sets. They're going to be watching UCLA and USC play Big Ten teams. It's very interesting. Now, the Pac-12 deal, as I understand it, their TV deal expires after the 2023 college football season. Their bargaining power is next to nothing now. Because you've got some dead weight in that conference from a TV viewing standpoint, and we have some in the SEC, and, and chances are we're one of them. You know, we, we don't we don't we don't turn a lot of eyebrows or eyeballs, excuse me, unless we're playing you know the LSU or we're playing. I guess we play Ole Miss. We get when that, that's been a – you know people tune in to watch that because they never know what's going to happen. You may have some student at Mississippi State jump on the field or run across there shooting double birds at the Ole Miss people, and now we wasn't my son, I claim him. Uh, But all that said, now that Pac-12 has lost one of the biggest media markets in the world in L.A., what's Fox Sports going to be willing to pay for Pac-12 football? So basically your anchors in that conference now are Washington and Oregon. So what's going to happen? Who is going to kind of sidle up with them? You know, I think when you look at – I think the Pac-12 is hemorrhaging. I think most people see it that way. If you're Colorado, who left the Big 12 for the Pac-12, it is a natural fit to go back. Natural. You look at Arizona, Arizona State, at the end of the day, they're really, they're really Big 12 schools at heart anyway. And so the Big 12's got a counter. I mean, you've lost Texas and Oklahoma. And now you have a chance to poach a couple of pretty big-time programs from a neighboring state. You can go over there and get Arizona. In Arizona State, all of a sudden, that's new TV markets for the Big 12. Now, it's not going to measure up what you got from Texas and Oklahoma, but it gives you a lot more bargaining power when you sit down and negotiate a TV deal. I think one of the teams that's rather interesting is Utah. What does Utah do? Utah is still a relatively new member of the Pac-12. Does Utah kind of partner with Washington and Oregon and say, hey, we're going to ride this thing out? When you start looking through the Pac-12 and kind of what's left, you know, what's really marketable in that conference? Really besides Washington and Oregon. Oregon State and Washington State don't move the needle. They just don't. I mean, how many times have you tuned in to watch Oregon State play football? Very few, right? I would say most of you never. Now, when Mike Leach is at Washington State, and we love Pac-12 after dark, after a long day of football, and and Mike was so interesting, you would tune in to watch it. But when's the last time you watched a Washington State game now? Washington State, at last report, had the um, lowest budget in the Power Five. You know, they're very much dependent on the Pac-12 TV deal you know, to help them. You know, people forget the recruiting department at Washington State was Dave Emmerich and Brittany Thackeray. That's it. Yeah, you, know, you get here and you got a staff of folks already. You know, so they kept everybody here. But I think it's it's just so interesting to think about, you know, Washington State is a consumer in many respects rather than a contributor. You know, when it comes to um, to that Pac twelve deal. That's just the reality of life. Nobody's going to tune in to watch Washington State play these days other than Washington State fans. So, you got Oregon. They've got some national juice. They do. Of course, they got Phil Knight and Nike money behind them. And, of course, Washington. Washington State, not going to move the needle. Oregon State, not. Cal, not. Stanford, not. And there's a lot of talk that Stanford might actually join the Big Ten. Like if Notre Dame goes in, and Notre Dame in many respects is kind of the swing school and all this, Notre Dame, I understand, as I think Pete Damel wrote, if Notre Dame goes into the Big Ten, they need a partner. That partner would likely be Stanford because they're mutually aligned in many respects. They play that game every year. So now all of a sudden you pull Stanford to the Big Ten – well, the Big Ten TV deal, now all of a sudden, not only do you have L.A., now you've got some, some TV sets in the Bay. And, again, it weakens the Pac-12 even more. So, awfully interesting there in the north. And you get in the south, we've talked about what potentially happened with Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado. And, again, Utah, I think is – I think Utah's is in a pretty good position because I think they're going to be – a team that can kind of strengthen their positioning. Do they go to the Big 12? Do they stay with the Pac 12? And what does a Pac 12 do? There's all this talk about the Pac 12 and the ACC that may merge. That makes no sense to me. And maybe I'm just completely off my rocker here. And this is what people forget, too. This is not just about football. People are like, oh, there's going to be these great Super Bowl, I mean, these, these super conferences for football. And, you know, you got to send your softball team, too. You got to send your volleyball team. You think Oregon State? You think those fans want to fly to Rutgers? All the way to Piscataway, New Jersey to watch you know, an athletic game? It'd be one Football's one thing. And you know what? You may only do that once, just so you can say you did. Then all of a sudden you start thinking about, you know, the ACC dips down into Miami. So Washington State They're going to send their softball team to Miami? Who's paying for all this? Oh, the TV deal. Well, you know, how's that? How does the ACC pick up? Uh, you know, a lot of traction with a TV deal. I, I just I think that at the end this could be a kind of a, you know, kind of a net sum that, that works out negatively when you begin to think about all of this. All this—it's you know, not just about football. You got a lot of Title IX sports. You got track and field. And so, you know, I guess, you know, having, if you're ACC schools, you're like, hey, we wouldn't mind sending our track team to Oregon. Wouldn't be so hot up there. It can be amazing facilities. But what's going to be left of the Pac-12? You already have two teams that have left, and there could, the whole conference could be gutted. You could see as many as four or five teams leave. And again, we're probably going to have people jock in for position over the course of the next year or two. It's going to be interesting. I think the Big 12 stands to benefit from the implosion of the Pac-12. And if you're the Big 10, too, you know, the Big 10's always had their voting partner in the Pac-12. You know, the Pac-12 could lose power five status. I don't think there's any question. I mean, there's not enough schools out there to really add to move the needle. It's pretty incredible. So how does the S Well, you know, the SEC could go add a couple more teams. And you read this stuff out here, and people are like, oh, well, you know, they're going to get you know, Florida State, they're going to get Miami, and they're going to get Clemson. That all sounds good. I think it brings a lot of revenue in many respects. But if you're going to go get those teams, you know, the thing that I think about is what does this do for programs like ours? And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. But I think in some respects it's going to make our path to the postseason in football extremely difficult, extremely, because you know these bigger conferences, everybody's going to want to play more often. We're already talking about going to nine conference games. And so if we're adding Clemson, Florida State, and people like that, you know, let's just kind of be honest about the position we're in. We need to play Kentucky and Vanderbilt a little more regularly. Than some other schools in our conference. That's just the reality of life. And people are like, oh, well, Steve, let's not lower the hurdles. I'm not a I'm not a proponent of that either. But I'm also not in a position where I feel like we can make it nearly impossible for us to have a winning season and go to a bowl game. For, remember 2020? We played an SEC only schedule. Remember that? We went three and seven. And so, well, it's just a one year. And we had all these COVID protocols. Yep, that so did everybody else. And so From a baseball standpoint, I think we're fine. From a men's basketball standpoint, I think we're fine. I think women's basketball would be fine. I don't think football would be fine if we add four more big-name teams to the Southeastern Conference for football. I just don't don't see it. And I'm just just spitting you straight here. I'd love to be able to go watch us play at Duke Walker. I think it would be amazing. But I'm also not naive enough to believe that we're going to come out there with a win very often. I'd love to be able to go play Miami. I'd love to be able to go play Clemson. I'd love to be able to watch them run down the hill up there. I've never seen that. But it's not about my entertainment dollar and the novelty of what I experience. What's best for Mississippi State? And that's the thing that I think about with our football program. You know, we have to be a little bit different at Mississippi State. We do. We can't just go out there and run the Alabama offense, you know, with less than Alabama talent and expect to get Alabama results. I mean, it's just not practical. But when I think about the NIL world, what's What's this going to do to recruiting? Now, all of a sudden, you've got more teams in the league. And, yeah, you recruit against some of these teams. But now, all of a sudden, you're going to have teams that are recruiting in the Southeastern Conference recruiting footprint a lot more see more competition. So how are we going to measure up? How are we going to be able to contend with all these NIL deals that are now attached to scholarship offers? And it's all unofficial, but it's still happening. And so I'm a little bit worried about it to be honest with you. I am. I'm a little bit worried if the SEC expands what that does long term for our football program. And I think at the end of the day, if they're going to do this and we're going to make, you know, 10, 15, 20 more million dollars, you have to do it. You simply have to do it. And you invest the majority of that money in your football program, upgrading your facilities, paying better coaches, hiring more recruiters. You don't just use it, you know, to go, you know, supplement the non-revenue producing sports. I mean, we're not going to go out there and build a golf course. Right? If we're going to have this and the challenges are going to be more daunting, we've got to use the money, the the surplus, to support our infrastructure for football. We have to probably make a greater commitment to football we've ever made to maintain where we are, not just to take a step up in the league, just to keep us in a situation that we can get to six or seven wins. Better enjoy it this year. And I hate to be all doom and gloom about this, but I, I just that's just kind of my honest opinion about it. Now, what's happening to other conferences, I don't really care about. I mean, it's like I, I didn't even really register with me. I think the Pac-12 has been so incredibly mismanaged over the years. You kind of see this coming. There's a lot of discussion, too, that UCLA is basically broke, and so they had to make this move. And, of course, they make it with USC. And it's, I, I kind of laugh at Lincoln Riley. It's like, you know, he takes that job at USC, and you think, man, what an easier path to the playoff. He's going to SC, probably going to play one to two really difficult games a year. Well, now all of a sudden they're headed to the Big Ten. Now you got to play Michigan. you got to play Ohio State. So now all of a sudden that path to the playoff is a lot more complicated than it was when he took the job. There were a lot of people that said that's why he left Oklahoma. Easier path to the playoff in the Pac-12. And then what does he do? Gets shipped to the Big Ten. Not going to have quite as many games in your backyard either. And I read all this stuff to people are like, well, you know, USC, they're going to be recruited in the Big Ten. Now, USC is going to continue to recruit as they have been. USC is a national brand, but they have primarily kind of recruited, you know, California in recent years. That's not going to change. Now, this, you know, the selling point will be, hey, you'll get a chance to go play in a big house. We'll go play Michigan probably twice while you're here. you get a chance to go, go play Penn State. You know that's a much bigger selling card than saying, "Hey, we're going to go up there to Corvallis and we're going to play the Beavers." Nobody cares. And listen, I know the the folks at Oregon State love their football program, so not being disrespectful to them, but that just doesn't move the needle. So I don't, I don't agree with these articles about how recruiting will change for USC and U- UCLA. I think they will continue to do what they've always done, and that's recruit their home state very well and and uh, spot recruit kind of around the country i don't think that changes i think it changes some for us if we expand like if we go out and absorb some of the acc i think it brings more spoons in the pot because it's in the natural recruiting footprint it's not like usc and then they'll spot recruit the big 10 but they're not going to go out there and go head to head with michigan ohio state for very many kids not that they're not already doing it's not like some kids all of a sudden it's going to say you know what hey USC came and played a game at my favorite school stadium. I'm going to go there. I and mean, you never know what guys are going to experience. But the reality of it is I, I just don't think that changes much. And we talked about Notre Dame too. Now, Notre Dame obviously is always in a position to benefit because everybody wants Notre Dame. You know, for years, you know, there was this talk about Notre Dame is going to join the Big East. When I was a kid, that was a talk. And I guess they did in basketball. And then there's this talk about they're going to go to the ACC, and they didn't. And then they basically have played a Big Ten schedule, played a lot of teams in the Big Ten. So it's in their footprint. And their, their TV deal runs out in 2025. So I don't think Notre Dame has to make a decision today. I think Notre Dame could be in a situation, too, where they're like, you know, hey, we'll just remain independent and keep playing these schools. But, you know, what happens long-term when it comes to the playoff? If Notre Dame doesn't have a conference ally or an alliance or an affiliation, if we can work all of our A's in there, what's their path to the playoff? Because if more of these teams are going to have to play more conference games, you know they're, they're going to drop the Notre Dame game. If everybody's got to pick up another, another conference game, well, you're going to make sure that your non-conference games are winnable because there are a lot of teams in the conferences that are going to be a lot like us they are going to need – that fourth non-conference game to make a bowl more times than not. So if Notre Dame scheduling takes a step back, what does that do to them when it comes to the FBS playoff rankings? So they got to be careful in what they do. But I think in many respects they're the most coveted program in the country that's essentially a free agent. They kind of always have been. They've done things their way. I mean, I remember being a kid thinking Notre Dame's always on NBC – because that's the, the respect they commanded. They've got a, you know, they a huge fan base nationally. And so that would be big, whoever gets them. I, I submit it's probably the Big Ten, but I wouldn't rule the ACC out. But college football, again, is changing. And it's not just college football. You know, and There are so many people that they get hung up on that. And they don't realize that uh, when you're in a conference, it's across every sport. When you, when you play at this level, it's not like, okay, we're just going to play these guys in football, but we're going to be Mountain West in baseball. It's not how it works. So, uh, you know, we'll kind of move forward. You know, of course, there's some basketball-only schools out there that play in some major conferences that don't, that don't fill football teams. It's just kind of like you see with Cal State, Fullerton, and baseball. But it's interesting times in which we live. You know, every so often you would see like a G5 or a mid-major team earn an invitation – to join a conference, but it was pretty—it was kind of few and far between, right? I mean, we used to see, you know, the WAC would fold, the Mountain West would come to power. And th- now it's like the biggest players in college football, the most prestigious and historic programs, are changing their conference affiliation. I mean, it's, it's really its really kind of unheard of. And we knew when Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC that the Big 12 would have to react. They did. They probably wish they'd have waited a little bit, to be quite honest with you. But the Big 12, I think, stands to benefit from this implosion. And so the Pac-12 could probably exist in name only. But I think in many respects, it's going to be a toothless conference compared to what it has been. At time, it's, it hasn't been as prestigious maybe the last 25 years. You know, but there was a time, though, that you, know, you, you, you tuned in. Everybody watch the Rose Bowl. Hit a Pac-12 champion. It was always you know, SC or UCLA, big time teams. Everybody remembers the Stanford Cal play. You tuned in to watch that stuff. I don't think anybody's tuning in to watch. Nobody's even going to the games. And so I don't fault USC and UCLA for making a move, but I think at the end of the day, they're gonna, this is going to be the death blow for the Pac-12 as we know it. Remind you guys, too, if you haven't, go to Primeshrimp.com. Primeshrimp.com, this offer is going to expire in about three weeks. So if you haven't participated, now's the time to do it. Go to Primeshrimp.com, use promo code BoneYard and save 20 bucks off your first order. Prime Shrimp is a New Orleans-based shrimp company, been in business since the 1940s. They have seen it all and done it all. I love all the flavors. I'm partial to the French quarter alfredo because I like to put it on a you know, bed of noodles. It makes it a little easier. It's a hearty meal. Very easy to get. Delivered direct to your door in these handy little pouches that fit so easily in the freezer. And also of note too. Uh, One of the best things about it is the uh, the no prep or cleanup. You just open up that pouch and you drop it into a pot of boiling water. Ten minutes later, you're ready to eat. What could be easier? There are a lot of people in your family that say, you know what? I love shrimp. It's just too much trouble. Well, Primeshrimp.com takes all the fuss out of serving shrimp. Check them out today. Primeshrimp.com, promo code Boneyard on your first order. All right, time for today's top ten list. I wasn't sure. How, I don't even know how I got to this point. I was just kind of working through things. And for some reason, I realized we haven't done Hooting and the Blowfish, one of the best-selling artists of the 1990s. So today, your top 10 list is Hooting and Blowfish, brought to you by ClothesWithBlair.com. Blair is a friend of mine, a friend of yours, a friend in the mortgage industry. A lot of great things about Blair. He's tall. He's tall. Now, Blair's a great guy. 1%, top 1% close ratio in the country. This is the guy that gets things done. When you're dealing with something as sensitive as your mortgage, you need to deal with somebody with experience, extensive experience. That's Blair Chandler, 21 years in the mortgage industry. If you're doing anything for 20-plus years, you're a pro. That's Blair Chandler, a mortgage professional. If you're a non-conforming borrower, maybe an atypical property, he can help you with that too. There's no situation that's too complicated for Blair. And if for some reason he can't get you approved, he'll get you on a path to put yourself in a situation to be approved. The best thing to do is to get pre-approved for you by a house. Give Blair a call or text today at his personal cell number, 601-500-2344, 601-500-2344. And if you can't remember that, just close with Blair.com. You want your loan closed? Go to closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, Dot com. All right, so let's do our Hootie and the Blowfish. I know that Blair is a huge Hootie and the Blowfish fan. Uh, probably, probably like at the inside of his briefcase, he's got a copy of Crack Review. And probably for his nostalgia stack. I mean, everybody can download music today, but I know that Blair is a huge Hootie and the Blowfish fan, H- huge. All right, so here's your top ten. And uh, the, number nine and number 10 are from albums a little bit later in the catalog. I mean, you know, you had "Cracked Rear View, and you had Fairweather Johnson, and then Musical Chairs. And they were all big hits. And then they disappeared for a while, and Darius Rucker had a country career. Then they got reunited, and they came back. And so uh, Looking for Lucky is a pretty good album. And so there's our number 10 and number 9 songs are off that album. Number 10, a really catchy tune. If you're unfamiliar, be sure and check it out. It's Get Out of My Mind. And it's a self-explanatory song, right? I mean, it's like, hey, you know, I'm trying to focus on life and I can't get you out of my head. Number nine, this is a gem, too. This is one, if you haven't listened to Hooting in a long time, it's the song One Love. And maybe you have, it, it got some play on Adult Contemporary Radio when it was out, uh, I guess, 05, 06, maybe. But that's uh, your your number 10, number nine. Again, that's off the Looking for Lucky album. Number eight, going back to kind of the early days, a song that was kind of a fan favorite that didn't get a lot of radio play. But if you own this album, you know what I'm talking about. It's Hannah Jane. It is a great, great tune. Probably should have been a hit. I think Hootie, in many respects, got a little bit overexposed because it's like there was all this, you know, Darius Rucker was an incredible singer. And they were writing these relationship-type songs that were very radio-friendly. But I think in some respects there was some fatigue. And so by the time Hannah Jane came out, I think people were like, yeah, I'm kind of ready to move on from this. Again, from the older days, it's the song Old Man and Me, a great tune. And it's kind of a wild ride, too. You know, I mean, it's like there's the composition of the song is a little different. So there is, uh, you know, some, I guess, uniqueness to the track. But uh, another, another one that got some radio play. because It seemed like once that uh, crack v- review came out, everybody's like, let's just hear more and more of this. Number six, another track that kind of kills live. A lot of people kind of get into this when it's I Go Blind. It was another big hit. Uh, Came a little bit later, obviously, but uh, I Go Blind is another one that, you know, Darius Rucker just kills the vocal. Number five, time. And I think this is probably one of the more underappreciated songs in the Hooting the Blowfish catalog. Time is great. Time is fleeting. Time is all we have. Uh, Number four, and I have this one, number four. And I know some of you would have it, number one. I just can't do it. Uh, number one, I, did, I never. it was a good song. I never thought it was great, but this was so incredibly overplayed. It's like when this thing was hitting, I couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't go to Walmart. You couldn't go to the gas station. You couldn't go to the movies. You couldn't get in your car. You couldn't stay on the sidewalk because everywhere, this song was everywhere, and it's a song I only want to be with you. I like it, but I'll be honest with you, if I never hear it again, I'm okay because I heard it 27 million times when it was out. It's like we couldn't couldn't get enough of it. I did. I got enough of it pretty early. And then you guys force-fed me to this thing to the point that I was almost nauseous. But uh, I only, only want to be with you. Maybe your favorite, not mine. You guys ruined it. Uh, number three, this is an amazing song. I love this song. I love the video. I think Darius Rucker, I think this is one of his shining moments as a vocalist. And it's the song, I Will Wait, off the Musical Chairs album. Up-tempo. It's basically... Dude telling his girl, no matter what happens, I got your back. I'll wait. Whatever happens, through the rise and fall. It's a great song. And then with Darius sitting there raising his fists and everything, that stuff fires me up, man. I like the authenticity in music. And this is one you can tell that was written about a girl. This was written about somebody that that somebody in the band loved. And I think that really comes across in, in the song. Number two, one of the saddest the most genuine songs that these ears have ever heard. I love the song. I've lived part of this song in my life, and maybe that's why it resonates so much with me. And as somebody's battled addiction, you know, for uh, for most of his life, I can relate. And it's a song, Let Her Cry. And it is very emotional. And when you get down to the end, when he talks about, and you know, she was the same girl I fell in love with long ago, and, She went in the back to get high. It's like, we're having a good moment. Everything is great. She's being herself. And and she goes in the back to get high and sat on the couch and cried. And, you know, it's like all of that stuff is so real. There is an authenticity to every bit of that. You know, this is not a story, this is something that a songwriter lived. And those are the things, those are the best songs. And it doesn't matter. People try to be all cryptic at times with their lyrics. And I guess I'm kind of that way too when I write poetry. This is a very direct song about a very emotional issue, and I respect them for delivering an absolute monster of a song here. So Let Her Cry, number two. And number one, I think this is the definitive hooting to Blowfish song, which is why it's number one. It's Hold My Hand. And it's the one in many respects, like, kind of like, I Only Want to Be With You. It was everywhere. It just wasn't as irritating. Like, I Only Want to Be With You got to be irritating. I don't think hold my hand did, but it seemed again like you, you couldn't get away from the song. And again, I think these are guys from Columbia, South Carolina. What's incredible, too, is I work with a, a lady. She was a fellow manager of mine when I was in retail furniture business. It was from Columbia, South Carolina, attended South Carolina when hooting the blowfish were there, and one of her friends dated a guitar player. And so I heard about hooting the blowfish from her just as things were kind of taken off. And maybe that's one of the reasons that I got sick of it also earlier. is because, you know, when it started being played on the radio, I had already heard some of the stuff. But uh, they were a great band. They were a great college band that hit it big. And, you know, Darius Rucker, of course, has uh, gone on to have some amazing solo success. The guy's extremely talented. And so, wanted to give these guys their due. And uh, I know there are a lot of people out there that kind of hate on them because they were successful. That That's what – You know, success will make you more enemies than anything else. My dad told me that when I was uh, graduating high school, and uh, I have never forgotten that, and I have learned and lived long enough to see that come true. Success makes you more enemies than anything else. And so when I see people kind of hate on bands like this, especially bands like this that haven't done anything stupid, it's just jealousy. It is. You know, it's just the reality of it. It's like, oh, I'm so sick of these guys. Uh, and I get it, you know, because, you know, rock radio out there and top 40 radio, it's like there are so few headliners these days, they will absolutely inundate you with songs that they know people know and people are going to enjoy, and they overplay them, which is one of the reasons I don't listen to Russell radio, but uh, that and all the stupid commercials. But I respect these guys. I think Darius Rucker is, uh, is an absolute American gem. And uh, interesting, too, when I was doing my research for this list, he said that Letter Cry was the first country song he'd ever written. And it's really not a country song, but you can kind of hear that in the arrangement a little bit. It is an incredible song. But uh, again, number one, hold my hand. So if you have an idea for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. The best way is to DM Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. Some of you hit me up on Facebook, and I try to forward them to, to Roy. I'm very busy, and sometimes I forget. So please forgive me. But Roy can be found... On Twitter, at Dogmatic67, that's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Roy also had a second interview today, so we're keeping our fingers crossed for our buddy Roy. I, kn- I knew the guy would land on his feet. Very optimistic about Roy's chances. Roy's a great guy. If you, if you know Roy, to know Roy is to love him. The guy is a great guy. He really is, and I'm glad that he reached out. We've become friends. I don't have a lot of real friends. I've got a lot of acquaintances, but people that I don't really consider friends, and Roy's one of them. So uh, I look forward to... Uh, working with Roy for the foreseeable future on these lists. It's funny, too, when I mentioned today we're doing "Hooting the Blowfish, he said they have enough songs. So, man, they've had probably a dozen top 40 hits. He said, that's why you're the boss. Well, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But, again, very grateful for Roy and his contributions to our show and our little barnyard family here. So, again, reach out let us know if you have ideas for the top 10 list. And appreciate your support of the list. Man, every so often Roy will like – Hey, man, so-and-so's creeping up on the top 10. So-and-so's in the top 20. and It's like you'd think as many of these lists as we've done and as successful as it's been, it would be very difficult to slide in the top 20. And it is because we have had some huge numbers. But occasionally, somebody slides in. I really, 38 Special did really well. I thought it would be better than it has been. But one of our highest risers here as of late has been the best of the 504 with many fresh. How about that? How about that, Juvie? Glad that we can kind of share that again with uh, other people. So we're going we're gonna to dip into that too a little bit next week. We'll get back on our regular schedule next week, too, now that I have working internet. So appreciate your guys' support of the top ten list and of our good buddy, Roy. All right, this segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, our friends at Campus Bookmart, the lovely, talented Susie, Miss Kathy Brown, Miss Pam Minyard. Everybody up there will treat you like family because in their minds you are family. There's not a better place to shop for Mississippi State merchandise than Campus Bookmart. If you can't make it to town to see their smiling faces, let me encourage you. Visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's internet at CampusBookMart.net. And be, by being a loyal Boneyard listener, you get the phrase it pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Again, that's campusbookmart net, promo code BSR. Mom, I'm telling you, the kids want new Mississippi State merch They do. They don't they know how to tell you, but if you order it and surprise them, and there's nothing better than that when you get that package as a kid and it's not a birthday or it's not a holiday and all of a sudden you get that gift and it's like, man, it makes you want to be good all the time, right? Well, why'd you give me this? Well, because I love you, right? I do it for my kids. I'd say there was a time there when Amazon first came out I don't spend a lot of time on Amazon anymore unless I'm looking for concert shirts. But, uh, you know, I would buy my kids something once every couple months, man. I I would order it and not even tell them it was coming just because I loved them. Not because I wanted to spoil them, but because they were good kids, did a good thing, and uh, lived good lives and didn't give uh, me a lot of trouble. So I encourage you, maybe surprise your kids with some Mississippi State merch. And you know what, Dad? You could do that too. You don't need Mom to do it. You could just order everybody some shirts. And be glad you did. All my books are there, too. So if you haven't filled out your collection, you can do so. All five on, on sale at Campus Bookmark. All right, so we talk about realignment. What does that realistically mean for Mississippi State? I have read it's kind of the doom and gloom. People are like, oh, if they do this, we're going to get left out or whatever. Uh, number one, I don't believe any of that. I don't believe any of that. I don't think you take teams away. I think you're adding teams, too. I think the SEC is solvent. I think the SEC holds the cards. And I think our commitment to football in the last 20 years has been amazing. We don't have the facilities or the budget that a lot of our, our peers do. But we have done a good job upgrading our facilities. And so, no, I don't think Mississippi State gets left out. And also, let me remind you, we play other sports. The SEC wants to be good in everything. If you follow the SEC on social media, you see a lot of that. There's a lot of pride that's taken in the championships the league earns in all sports. And so Arkansas is a fantastic, fantastic track and field program. Arkansas is a top-notch baseball program. Arkansas is not a great football program, and they haven't been. For a while, Houston Nut had a couple years where they won the West. They weren't expected to. It's like he was either coaching for his job or coaching for an SEC West title every year. You think Arkansas is going to get left out? I don't think so. Well, Steve, their budget, that's not the issue. It's not about Walmart and Tyson Chicken. It's about eyeballs. What do they bring? Now, we're not going to command that same level of respect, but I believe Greg Sankey and the SEC will protect all league members. We are charter members of the SEC. And you go all the way back to the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Association, which was the precursor of the SEC. We've actually been in this league longer than just about anybody. And so I think we are a family. And so I, I just don't share this doom and gloom. And there are a lot of people are like, oh, well, this is what's going to happen, and we're going to fall apart. Uh, let's worry about what's relevant, Right. Nobody is uh, talking about kicking us out except for Mike Bianchi from the Florida paper, whatever he needs clicks, because the rest of the stuff that he writes doesn't get read. Oh, they should kick out state and Ole Miss and add South Florida and, and whoever. You know, uh, No, we're not doing that either, nor do we need to do that. Uh, but the reality of it is is that we bring a lot of value in a lot of sports, and you start thinking, you know, hey, Ole Miss won, wins an AFL championship in baseball. That's the first championship they have won in decades in any major sport. We have played for two NAfL championships in women's basketball. Uh, We are beginning to take some strides forward in softball, and you begin to look around our conference. I mean, basically, it's the SEC and the Pac-12. It would be interesting to see the dynamics of that as some of those teams leave the Pac-12 for softball conferences that aren't quite as prevalent or quite as prolific. But no, I'm not panicking about this, and I don't think you should either. I mean, I, I read these threads sometimes on our message board, and people are like, oh, well, this is going to happen, and it's also doom and gloom. I just think to myself, I mean, wh- what happens, man, like when your kids or your wife are 15 minutes late getting home from Walmart? bet that phone gets lit up, man. Let's just relax and kind of enjoy what we have. And you look at what we have in baseball. You don't think the SEC wants us in the league for baseball? Why would they not? You get the greatest fans in all of college baseball. You get the greatest stadium in all of college baseball. You got a program with amazing tradition that's made an amazing commitment to college baseball. So there's a lot more to it than just football. And it's yes, I get it. Football is what moves the needle. Football pays the bills. There's no there's no doubt about that. I just don't buy the doom and gloom. I, I just don't. I, I just don't think you know. And there's all this talk you know when we get ready to add Oklahoma and Texas. People are like, well you know the SEC could get out of this deal with State and Ole Miss. But why would they want to? I mean, honestly, why would they want to? I just don't think they would. I don't think there's a lot of value. What, what do you lose by keeping State and Ole Miss in, in the league? Especially considering that uh, there have been some years we've contributed when the league has been down in football. So I think there is a loyalty factor there, and I just don't worry about it. I think there are so many other things in life to worry about, I don't worry about all the hypothesis. There's well, Steve. There's all these hypothetical situations that aren't fable to Mississippi State. Well, let's focus on what is instead of what could be, because what's true in your mind may not be true in reality. And so, I just don't really spend a lot of time worrying about it. I mean, when I see those threads, I just kind of I go through to make sure nobody's used any offensive words, and I just kind of move along. I don't really comment in those threads because i don't don't want to add to them i don't want to give them life but i think state and old miss are tied together for better for worse you know some people would say well Ole miss is a national brand no it's not it's not that sounds cute it's not true and people know who they are i mean how many times has espn the worldwide leader of sports confused state and Ole miss they're not a national brand they're not any bigger brand than we are It's because they recruit a little bit better out of state because that's their focus. You know, we are the University of Mississippi, even though our name is Mississippi State University. We're committed to the Magnolia State. And so I share that because I think it's important that we understand that we do bring value to the Southeastern Conference. It's not like the Mississippi State of yesteryear. where we were just kind of fortunate to be along for the ride and get a big check. You know, we're contributing to the bowl coffers every year, too. We're contributing to that TV package every year, too. And I think having Mike Leach makes us more attractive in many respects. You know, it's not like the years that, you know, the lean years that we've had at times where the only people tuning in to watch us are Mississippi State people. You know, people will watch Mississippi State play. Now, when Mississippi State's playing Tennessee State, the only people watching this are us and the handful of Tennessee State fans that are out there. But how many big games have we had at Davis-Wade Stadium in the past 15, 20 years? You know, Dan Mullen, to his credit, coached a lot of big games at Davis-Wade Stadium. I mean, a lot. You remember how crazy it was when Auburn came in here and we played them to be number one in the country? We went to Alabama, played it on CBS... Everybody in the country was watching us. We had Dak Prescott. We were the number one team in the country going on the road to play Alabama, and people were rooting for us to do it. Think about what happened when Mississippi State women's basketball beat UConn. Everybody in the world was rooting for Mississippi State. It is one of the biggest moments in the history of women's basketball. And your university was on the floor. Morgan Williams shot was not just a shot for Mississippi State the shot for the game of women's basketball. Proved that anything could be done. And that's our player. That's our hero making that shot. A hero for the entire country. People wanted to see the streak broken. You know, remember last year, we're getting ready to go play for an NFL championship. I shared with you guys before about how many people came up to me and said, Steve, we're really pulling for Mississippi State. It's time you guys got one. Heard a lot of that from the LSU fans that were in attendance, and there weren't many. But there were a lot of people up there that said, hey, you know, it's time. It's time for Mississippi State. We're pulling for those Bulldogs. So there is interest in our programs. And, I, you know, you look around at the Oklahoma State to the world, you know, there's interest in that program too. I mean, Mike Gundy has been very loyal to those guys, Oklahoma State. You know, I think Oklahoma State losing Texas in Oklahoma hurts their TV viewership tremendously. It hurts their attendance. I mean, are, are people really going to tune in to watch Oklahoma State in Utah play or Arizona? Probably not. Probably not. I think Oklahoma State's a team that probably hurts the worst in this thing. But do you think Oklahoma State gets left out when they, when they form these alliances, these super football conferences people are talking about? It's not going to happen. It's just not. And I know it's easy to worry about that. We Mississippi State folks, like we're born warriors. You know, I had somebody tell me once, a guy that was an Ole Miss fan, and uh, not that I want to give them credit for much, but what he said was true. He said he went to an Egg Bowl game with two of his cousins. One was a Bulldog fan, one was a Rebel fan. The game was close, and the Bulldog fan kept saying, we're going to find a way to lose this game. And his old Miss cousin was like, we're going to find a way to win this game. And oh and behold, old Miss won. And he thought, you know what, I'd, I think I'd rather be their fan. And there is this defeatist attitude that's in our culture sometimes at Mississippi State. It's like we, we don't expect good things to happen for ourselves. And I really felt like after we won the NAFL championship in baseball that we had kind of shot a bullet in that. We didn't have to deal with that anymore. And that was a target that was kind of removed. All of a sudden, our self esteem as a fan base began to increase from, like, you know, we finally did it. Finally. And then this year, we have a tough year in baseball and it kind of reemerges again. Well, this is the most Mississippi State thing ever. You know, no, it's not. It's not the most Mississippi State thing ever because I expect good things to happen for Mississippi State. I think we've got great leadership, we've got great representation. Not to mention, you know, Mark Keenum is one of the most powerful men in college football. Did you know, remember that? It's not by accident. It's not like we're just going to sit by and just say, you know what, hey, just whatever happens, just let us know where to suit up and show up. We'll, we'll, we'll send Everett Kinnard with the bus with all the gear. It's just not going to happen that way. And so I shared that because I think it's important that our fans just put the pause button on that. There's a lot of things that have to happen before any of this is even an issue to worry about. And even then, I think we're in. I, I, don't, I just don't believe that we're going to be left out just because uh, you know, we're not a blue blood of the Southeastern Conference. I think we have strength because we're a member of the Southeastern Conference. I think there's some other teams out there, you know, like the cows of the world and Oregon State, that maybe don't have a bright future to think about. They can look at this and that they could be a team without a conference at least in the power five, I don't think we're in that position at all. I think we're in a much better position. And so I'm sure we will discuss this a lot over the course of the next two years as college athletics begins to kind of reshape itself. But at this point, I don't think there's anything to worry about. I think that's an important part of it. I think there are a lot of people out there. It's like, oh, we won an Apple championship – and now the world is going to fall down around us. I just don't believe that either. You're welcome to believe it. And, uh, you know, I look forward to coming back later and saying, I told you so. I just think that with the the, the system that's in place now, that Mississippi State is actually in a good place. Call me naive, but that's, uh, that's how I feel about it. Now, you come back later and say, you know what, Steve? Hey, it didn't work out for us. And then I don't know what to tell you. You know, but I just don't believe that there is a realistic scenario where Mississippi State is left out of the Southeastern Conference. It just makes no sense to me. I think a lot of people out there, are. You know, I think they expect so little from Mississippi State that we always expect bad things to happen to us. And I wish we could breathe that part out of the fan base. I really, I really do, and I say that with the most sincerity that I can possibly muster. It's one of the things about some segments of our fan base that really irritate me. It's like we are constantly forecasting failure. We constantly expect bad things to happen. I, I, I don't share that. And I, I'll be honest with you, I think the moment it changed for me was in 1998. 1998, we should have destroyed our Arkansas on the football field. We should have. We dominated that game, but we kept having to kick field goals. We kept having to kick field goals. Kept having to kick field goals. Should have put that thing away really before the half. And then lo and behold, Arkansas comes back and takes a late lead. And I was like, well, here we go. This is this is how it is at Mississippi State. And Wayne Madkin led us down the field. And I remember Chris Randy getting a big play up there, getting the field goal set up for us. And Brian Hazelwood settles over the kick. And I said out loud in my home, he's going to miss it because I had grown up a Mississippi State fan, because great things never happened to us. That was the story of our athletics programs, is the near miss, right? I said, he's going to miss it. Everybody in the room said, are you kidding me? He's going to nail this thing. Well, he didn't nail it. And he kicked it just inside the upright. He maybe even actually kicked it over the upright. And as soon as it came off his foot, I said, see, I told you. They ruled it good, and I couldn't believe it because that kind of stuff just didn't happen to Mississippi State. And all of a sudden, I kind of started feeling stupid. You know, I wanted us to win. We had played well enough to win. We had dominated the game. We just hadn't put them away yet. We finally make it, and Brian Hazelwood is a hero for all time at Mississippi State. The you know, Dak Prescott shows up here at Mississippi State We had Tyler Russell as our quarterback, and I remember telling everybody on Gene's page back then, I said, hey, listen, Dak Prescott has the skill set Dan Mullen needs to really make this offense run at its full capacity. Tyler wasn't a great runner. Tyler was an excellent passer, but he was somewhat limited in this scheme. Now, he'd have been an amazing quarterback in Mike Leach's scheme, right? He still set a ton of school records. But all of a sudden, Dak Prescott and guys like Josh Robinson showed up and Bear Wilson, God rest his soul. They did not accept the natural order of things in the Southeastern Conference. They didn't think, okay, well, we're supposed to lose this game because we're Mississippi State. And so we go down there and we beat LSU at their place like a drum. And I know they came back late and kind of made it interesting, but we dominated that ballgame. I think Dan sometimes too – Kind of got shy in the moment, late. You know, remember we went for it on fourth down instead of kicking a field goal late in that game? We had a chance to just kind of put it away, and we thought the game was over instead of going for it and trying to put it in the end zone. We didn't want to be accused of running up a score, then it took a late play late by Will Redman. Uh, he picked it off. He wasn't credited with an interception, but he picked it off. And then we're like, hey, well, maybe we've arrived. And then Texas A&M is coming in with Kenny Trill. Remember that? He was supposed to be the Heisman Trophy winner that year. He wasn't. He comes to Mississippi State with Texas A&M. They were a top-ten team. Dak Prescott and the Bulldogs absolutely destroyed them. And then Auburn comes in. Everybody's thinking, okay, well, this is it. You know, Florida State's won. You know, we're right there with them. We're three. They're two. And we won the game. And we really dominated the game. And I remember when Justin Cox picked that ball off late. I mean, we knew we were going to win, but that removed all doubt. And it was like, again, this doesn't happen to us. And then we believed that it could. And then 2015, we had a good year, but it was a disappointment. It was Dak's senior year. We felt like we should have beat LSU that year. Devin Bell missed a late field goal. I mean, it was crazy, too. We got a, I blame the bench because we got, a, we got a delay of the game penalty because we were so late signaling the play, and we didn't recognize what's going on. We made the job even more difficult for him. We should have won the game. We were disappointed that we didn't, and it's LSU, a team that had owned us. Alabama destroyed us; they did. They really played well. Give them credit. And we lose the Egg Bowl, and I thought Ole Miss outplayed us significantly in the ball game. But we were mad about it because our expectation level had changed. And so, because of those moments, I think we need to kind of have some faith in ourselves as a fan base in our program and our leadership to understand it is okay to expect more at Mississippi state. We don't have to just say, well, bad things happen to us. So they're going to kick us out of the sec. It's just not going to happen. And I think that's the most important thing for people to understand is let's stop forecasting failure. Let's stop pushing ahead and saying, you know what? Hey, nothing good ever happens to us. They're just been waiting to kick us out anyway. Just, that's just not the reality of life. It's not. I mean, it may be an alternate reality in some of our fans' mind, but I think the reality of it is, is this newer generation of Bulldog fans, and that's not to say it's 100%, but I think there is a higher percentage of Bulldog fans today in this younger generation that have learned that, hey, you know what, it is okay to expect more. It's not just about, hey, as long as we win the Egg Bowl, I'm good. And when I when I grew up as a kid, we never expected to go to a bowl game. We went to a bowl game. It was a really big deal because we didn't get to go very often. And I understand there are more bowl games today, and there's all these SEC bowl tie-ins, which are much easier for us to go. But we were a very small fan base then, and I think some people were just happy to watch a game. And Ole Miss had beaten us for so many times, and we are just like, if we could just win the game, I'm okay with whatever else happens. And I think we've graduated beyond that. And so I applaud this younger generation of Bulldog fans that are like willing to get in the car and say, hey, the Bulldogs are playing. Like I was so proud of so many people that braved the elements and went to Arlington last year to watch our guys play at Globe Life Field. It's amazing. It's amazing. And how many people turned out in Omaha last year? I mean, fans of all generations. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, back in the 80s, we had a nice turnout at Omaha in 85, But it was nothing like what you guys did last year. Nothing. And, again, we were a game away from playing for it all. And we lose that game to Texas, and then we had the game with Miami. I mean, it's like, you know, we're down to the final four teams, final three teams. We didn't have a lot of people going. They were just watching on ESPN. Because I think we expected to lose. We hoped to win, but expected to lose. So I'm not going to make the financial investment to get in the car and go. Because Omaha, Nebraska felt like a foreign country to many of us, in small-town Mississippi. And so I think the Bulldogs have kind of expanded our borders a little bit. We're like, hey, you know, listen, hey, let's do it. And there are many of you, and, you know, again, I go to every Mississippi State baseball game and football game home and away with rare exception. And I see a lot of the same people there. And many of them are my generation or younger. It's like, hey, man, Steve, we, we had to get out here and see the Bulldogs play. We had to come support our team. And so I encourage you to get out and do that. And you want to talk about, too, if you've got fear of that sort of stuff, if you're worried about, okay, my goodness, what's going to happen, you're not going to fix it on a couch. Go to the ball games. Help Mike Ritchie and that group exhaust our away game tickets. Turn out, show up, show the SEC, show the nation. We're going to support our team in good times and bad, home and away rain, sunshine, whatever. We're going to be there. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You know, Brooks Bryan's my friend. He's your friend. He recently went to the Bahamas, and I'm really upset about that because I was supposed to be in the Bahamas, and now he goes to the Bahamas. I didn't get to go. I'm going to go in December, but he got to go, so I'm jealous. I'm sure he's all suntanned and Probably had some great food while he was down there, and I'll have to hear about it, and I'll see all the pictures on Facebook, and and I'll be jealous, and I'll admit that. You could be jealous, too, in a good way, because many of your new neighbors are already enjoying the great life that is provided here in Starkville, Mississippi, at Portico. If I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. It's 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. You're right here near all the action, far enough away to have a little privacy. Very easy access to all the major highways in Starkville. It's right there off of 12. You turn off of 82 on a 12. The very first right is Pad Station Road. That brings you to Portico. And you know what else? Whenever you're ready to leave town to go watch the Bulldogs play, it takes you right back out to 82. Then you can jump around and get on 25. You can go wherever you want to go. You're not going to have to battle traffic getting in and out of your house. So give those guys an opportunity to serve you. Let me give you Brooks' personal cell number. 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Brooks is a great guy. It's a friend of Mississippi State. It really is. And I like doing business with Bulldogs whenever I can. And Brooks is definitely one of those. So be sure, check him out. And uh, again, you can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home. Go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Whether it be your retirement home, your primary residence, your ballgame weekend retreat, there is a place for you here in Starkville at Portico. Make it your next move. Okay, let's talk a little baseball stuff before we get out of here. So, I suspect we're going to see on the Mississippi State side commitments kind of slow down, and there's only a couple spots left right now. You know, the draft begins in what, nine days? You're going to see some guys that are projected to go in the draft and that will go in the draft commit to other schools to create some leverage. I don't think we're going to see that with Mississippi State. I think we're seeing it with Arkansas. I think we're seeing it with LSU. I think there are some teams that have got some guys committed in recent days they're just kind of hoping for the best and there's nothing wrong with that it's like hey we're going to take him and if he doesn't get drafted we've got a heck of a player right but there are going to be some guys that commit and let's say for an example maybe you're at kind of a a dead-end program with no chance to get to Omaha so you commit to a contender well now all of a sudden you're basically telling Major League Baseball it's like hey yeah I can stay here at you know Sam Houston State all due respect to those guys um but i'm gonna go to texas and i'm gonna go to texas and because that's a much better experience that gives me a chance to play at a much higher level you're gonna have to pay me more to bypass the opportunity to play at the university of texas that's how that all kind of comes together there are some guys right now that are committed and i hope none of them are to us have absolutely no intentions of going to college they're done absolutely finished going to college but yet they're committing to these programs out here. And so it's important to understand that. It's also one of those things, if you're a Mississippi State person, you would to understand, too, we may lose some of our new commitments to the draft, too. I would submit to you that uh, just about everybody that's drafted is going to sign. Now, there could be some wiggle room with some guys drafted late. I mean, and, and some of that could be in I. L. money. Now, I, I don't think Mississippi State – is going to go out there and throw a ton of NIL money at a guy that, that probably needs to go. And that's not that we won't need him, but I think you're just kind of screwing the kid there. But uh, you know, looking at last year's numbers, there were 312 players drafted in the first 10 rounds of the draft. 309 of them signed. So it's pretty much guaranteed if you're drafting the first 10, you're going to sign because most of those teams and players come to terms prior to the pick. The most notable guy that didn't sign is Kumar Rocker, who was the first first rounder uh, that didn't sign, I guess, since 18. I think I, let me check my notes here. I believe it's correct. Yeah, 2018. And that year there were three, and two of them were connected to Mississippi State. JT Gann being one of them, and Carter Stewart. Carter Stewart, of course, played over in Japan. And then Matt McLean uh, was drafted. Carter Stewart was the number eight pick in the draft and then didn't sign. And some of that sometimes, too, guys don't sign. It's because it's a physical type situation. Maybe, you know, that they maybe they're not severely injured, but they're kind of dinged up a little bit, and so they try to pay you less than slot, and so that's kind of how things shake out. And They're like, you know what, I'm not going to sign for this. So, traditionally, guys that are drafted in the top 10 rounds are going to sign. And I guess last year, just a handful of guys that didn't, as we talked about. But uh, we may have some guys drafted late. Now, I think it's important to understand too some of those guys benefit from coming back, but those that don't have any eligibility left, let's take Bill Knight for an example. Okay. Bill Knight's played four years of baseball. He has one year of eligibility left due to the COVID year. Well, if he gets drafted this year, he has the leverage of saying, Hey, I can always go back to college. If he goes back to college, he has no leverage the next year. So his signing bonus is basically whatever they want it to be. That super senior, saver type deal right so if bill knight gets drafted 16 17 round and he's offered a couple hundred thousand dollars that kid's gone he's gone i look at some of these guys that he has got committed many of them it is already established if they get drafted they're going to go so well what does that mean for us steve what's left well there's a lot left in the portal a lot left in the portal and so once we get through the draft if, if we lose anybody, we will replace them. Now will that player be as talented as the guy we lose in the draft? Possibly not. But the portal is not empty by any stretch of the imagination. And I think once we get through the draft, this thing is going to go really, really fast. And what I mean by that is there are going to be a lot of guys that have just kind of been waiting. And I think there's probably some kids out there. There's probably a bit of an agreement and understanding. It's like, hey, we really want you – but this guy's probably going to go in the draft. And maybe it's not – maybe it's a current player. You know, it's like, hey, we want you to do this. But I can't give you Luke Hancock's spot if Luke's coming back. So, we're going to wait and see what happens with Luke in the draft. If Luke is drafted and signs, then you get that scholarship spot. And so, I think there are probably some – not just at Mississippi State, but around the country, some people are like, there's these if-then type scenarios that um, – you know, we're looking at. So once we get through the draft, there's going to be a ton of guys, especially from G5 programs, that went undrafted. They're going to go ahead and commit, and it's going to be hot and heavy. I mean, you're going to, Kendall Rogers and those guys are going to break their fingers trying to keep up with all that because it's going to happen very, very rapidly. Because if the, now the draft has been removed from the equation, now everybody's got to find a place to play. It's going to be this crazy game of musical chairs. And then you've got to figure out, too, your guys. You know, who's going to sign, who's not. You know, um, I continue to hear Cam James is going to go. I mean, and, and you, uh, you'd love to get Cam back, but I think it's one of those things, too. Cam's age works against him a little bit. I think Cam's a guy that probably projects maybe a little bit better than some of our other guys. I've recently seen uh, some mocks that now have Lannon Sims potentially going, like in the compensatory picks late in the first round. That's a possibility, early second round. Logan Tanner's a guy expected to go second third round, one of the first catchers off the board from the college ranks. And outside of that, it's going to be a bit of an adventure. You know, we'll kind of wait and see how things go. There some mocks don't even have Cam James listed in their top 300 players, and there are others that do. You know, Brad Cumbu is another guy. I talked to a scout a couple days ago that said Brad Compass is a thousand at bats behind the rest of the class. A1,000 because he didn't get a chance to go through fall baseball most years. He didn't get a chance to go play in the Cape or play summer league ball somewhere because he was in football. A thousand at bats. I mean, let that sink in for a second. A thousand at bats. He believes that after two years in the minor leagues that Brad Cumbus is going to absolutely explode, Then we can just fully focus on baseball. And his comment to me was, look at what Brad did this year, despite the fact that he was hurt you know, coming back from Omaha. He was banged up, had the shoulder surgery. He said, look at what he did the one year at Mississippi State that he focused fully on baseball. He said, Man, this guy's potential is off the charts. So he is a guy that we expect to go. There's no question about it. And you know what? I'm really proud for Brad. Exceptionally proud for Brad. What a great guy. And I'll be proud for all of our guys. I mean, obviously we'd love to have him back, but we want what's best for them. We're not a talent deficient program historically. You know, so we don't have to sit over here and cry over the fact that some of our guys leave to go play pro baseball. That's why you want them to come here. You want that reputation as a program. If I go to Mississippi State and I work hard and I play well, I'm going to be gone in three years off to the minor leagues. That's the reputation you want. You don't want to be one of these programs where, okay, I'm going to go there and I'm going to play for four years and then hope to get drafted. You want guys to come here with the expectation of getting drafted. I mean, we want to go get the best of the best. It's hey, like you come in here and work hard and develop. In three years, you're going to be a pro. You don't want to be that program that's just, you know that has a lot of seniors. A lot of seniors in college baseball isn't a good thing ordinarily. Now, uh, the year that we're living in because of the COVID stuff, I mean, you know, Old Miss certainly benefited from that, as did Mississippi State in the last two years. And so you're older, but we had some guys that had some eligibility left. I mean, there were some Old Miss guys that came back that kind of forfeited all their leverage. And, uh, you know, the casual fan will be like, hey, he got drafted higher this year. Yeah, he got drafted higher so they could pay him peanuts and then uh, pocket that other money in the slot and overpay somebody else. That's how it works. And so kind of under, but that's what everybody, oh, he improved his draft stock. Yeah, he did, and he gutted a signing bonus. And so you don't want that for the kid. I mean, it gives them basically a head start at life. Think about this. If you graduated college or you finished up in college and then you were given a quarter of a million dollars to start your life what kind of benefit would that be you know for me i was eating bacon tomato sandwiches and and, and ramen noodles were a delicacy when my life began you know and so you begin to think about that and, and you take the selfishness out of this you know what's best for the young man and his family not just necessarily what's best for Mississippi State. And as I said earlier, I think the bigger picture is is that's what you want. You want guys to come in here and get big money. Because then the next recruit that comes along, you can say, hey, we think you're like Brad Combust. And Brad came here and played and had a year of eligibility left and went pro early and made X amount of dollars. And we think you're a guy coming here if you commit yourself to baseball instead of being a two-sport guy that you'll be in an even better position. When the draft comes. So it's important to understand how that works. But a lot will come into focus here in about 10 days. 10, 11 days, we'll get through to the 19th, and there will be some guys, some names that you know that we're kind of sweating out right now that won't be selected. And that is not an indictment on their talent, it's about their ability to sign. When you only have 20 rounds of draft, I mean, like it was years ago where you could go waste a pick, you know, it's like they didn't draft our boy Elijah McNamee, but they go draft that quarterback from Florida as for a public relations release. Stupid, man. Still burns me up, man. Absolutely burns me up. Elijah McNamee was treated that way. But now with 20 picks, you can't go be cute. I mean, you can't go out and draft Mike Tyson just to be cute. You know, years when you had those, you know, all those picks, you could just throw something out there just to kind of be funny. It's not like that anymore. You got only 20 picks, and the current collective bargaining agreement is locked in the draft at 20 rounds for the foreseeable future. And so they're not going to waste picks. They're going to draft guys that they expect to sign. There's not going to be a whole bunch of, you know, draft and follow stuff like it used to be. Used to, they would go draft a guy, and if they had some bonus money left over, they'd make another run at him, and sometimes they would sign. Because they could pay them over slot. It's a different dynamic now. So, when a guy gets drafted, you got to expect them to sign. And then there'll be a handful that don't, that have leverage, that'll come back. But these guys that have got four years of college experience under their belt, if they get drafted, they're going to sign. I mean, with rare exception. And to be honest with you, like, I I wouldn't want Mississippi State, let's say for an example, Let's say Brad Kumbust gets drafted, and let's say his signing bonus is $200,000. I wouldn't want Mississippi State to come in and say, hey, Brad, we'll give you $200,000 this day. Okay, he gets a $200,000, but what if he comes back next year and gets injured? What if he has a worse year? What if he comes back and all of a sudden now he's drafted into a worse organization and there's an organization that's not as invested in him because they could pay him $5,000 or so to sign instead of $200,000? That might be best for us for one season, but how is that better for the kid for the remainder of his life? It's not. It's not good. And so I don't want to have that reputation as a program that we're going to be selfish and we're going to screw kids just to win a couple of extra ball games, We ought to be able to recruit at a high enough level to be able to do that anyway, that we don't have to go out there and spend our money. And if we're going to use our NIL collective money, I would much rather use it on a guy that's got three more years of eligibility than one. It's just not smart. Now, I understand some programs out there are going to think, you know, hey, we're a player away from winning an AFL championship when they just got back. And there'll be some schools that'll do it. There'll be some schools with big budgets that'll do it. You know, I hear some things out there you know, like Sonny Desherry. What's going to happen with him? You know, Sonny doesn't project real well at the next level. He doesn't. And I don't think he's going to command a high draft pick. I mean, he's, he's not really that tall. He's kind of a stationary defender. So, you know, that could be a situation that you watch where it's like, hey, you know, he gets drafted late. Maybe they offer him $150,000. Auburn may say, hey, listen, let's get him back right? I mean, this is the same school that signed Cam Newton, right? I mean, so Sonny D, one of the biggest names in college baseball last year, you know, and Auburn obviously played exceptionally well. They went to Omaha. And so you get Sonny D back and you're thinking, hey, we can get back to Omaha. We're going to return a lot of this team together. So I can understand the temptation for a guy like him that doesn't project quite as well. Brad Combust is a much more projectable big league ball player the guy's got exceptional size doesn't have the home run numbers that sonny does but you know what is sonny going to be able to make the adjustment brad can play left field brad can be a corner outfielder for you brad can run a little bit sonny didn't do those things but there will be some guys like that that are don't really project well as major league baseball prospects that are really good college players that forego the draft To get a little money in their pocket and maybe there's some guys out there that you look at and say you know what hey this guy's never going to be a big leaguer so he's probably going to maybe sign and then go play in the minors for a year or two and then go sell insurance or go get a job with his degree and so maybe the reality of that situation is maybe this is better for him you know i look at luke hancock you know luke is a guy that's going to be drafted as a catcher that hadn't caught a whole lot he caught a little more this year you know Luke's got it. Probably benefits from coming back as far as draft stock goes. But you know I don't know that Luke. I don't know that Luke has had the year to get, really get somebody to take a big chance on him and make an investment in him. So when you kind of look at the Sonny D thing with us, you know would this be a situation where we look at Luke and say well, Luke, we'd like to have you back, and so rather than you go pay for peanuts, we can make you a deal? I, you know, I don't know. But let's be honest about Luke Hancock, and I love Luke Hancock to death. I don't think he's a big leaguer. I don't. And if he does make it, it's going to be as a catcher. And I think in order to do that, he's got to prove he can catch at this level. So that might mean a sacrifice him some signing bonus for next year. And I don't want to sound hypocritical in that respect because there are some guys out there that just don't project. I think Luke is a guy that's like that. I think it, he's not going to play first base, right? He's just not. And I don't think that he's quick twitching out to play middle infield I think Luke's going to have to catch. And so, Luke comes back. I think you feel pretty good about the position, obviously. You know, Ross Highfield is a guy that uh, you know we're continuing to hear that's not going to be uh, – you can't tell teams not to draft him, you know, because he's not going to sign. He's already here in summer school. And so, I, I think the, the that position group is really good. I think this class is really good. The catchers we've signed are all really good. Uh, but – There's a lot to take in, and pretty soon we won't have to talk about the draft anymore because that will be behind us. And then we're going to have this sweeping circus of signings when it comes to the portal, and then we're going to get into fall baseball. And I know you guys are starting to get excited, but I want to prepare you for the possibility that some of the guys that are committed to us now from the portal may get drafted. And if they do, expect them to sign. And then if they don't, it's a bonus. But if they do, there's already – players that have been identified to replace them so we're not just kind of relying on the returning guys there will be some other names that'll be mentioned and so you know we'll see how things go like Jackson Kelly that reliever out of uh, Mercer that we all love with that fabulous mustache and that sidearm delivery that guy gets drafted; he's going to sign relievers don't command high dollars they just don't you know Kevin Cobb's kind of a rare exception but he was also a veteran guy that could kind of short sell on the signing bonus but if Jackson Kelly gets drafted, think he's going to sign. And so it's probably good for Mississippi State that he's not committed to Mississippi State right now because if he signs, let's say he commits to us and there's another reliever that we're chasing, and he goes, well, I'm not going to Mississippi State. They got Jackson Kelly. Well, then Jackson Kelly gets signed. We've lost them both. Make sense? All right, we'll be back on Monday and hopefully back to a regular schedule. This is driving me crazy. It absolutely is. But uh, if you haven't done so, go to dogpiledabook.com. And you get signed copies of Dogpile, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs, and Flim Flem. I talked to my publisher today, and right now we're starting to see very brisk sales with Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs. I know it's you Boneyard listeners. And so you're getting those books. And I had somebody else message me today and said, Steve, my copy of Flimflam got destroyed in a move. I got to get another one. Will you sign it? Well, they've already been signed. So if you want signed copies, you can get them uh, right then and there. Not doing any touring right now. Kind of let my mind rest. We'll be really busy again this fall and have signings basically all over the city. And Christmas will be really busy again. But I'm kind of enjoying some time to myself. But uh, if you're looking for those books, you can find them. In Dogpile, the uh, the second printing is available. So that's the new edit. There were a couple of changes we had to make. Uh, that's the beauty of the first edition, right? You make a couple mistakes here and there. But uh, second printing is in. I'd encourage you to get that. It's time to get excited about baseball again, too. You know, it's like there's, oh, we had the bad year, and then Ole Miss one. Okay, that's behind us now. But uh, brighter days are ahead of us. So let's relive that NAFL championship and maybe buy it for a friend of yours. Maybe you're like, you know what, hey, they've been kind of down in the dumps. Let's remind them that on one day we were the greatest college baseball program in the country, and we had the trophy to prove it. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. Uh, Blooms of Oleander, of course, uh, available through Amazon.com. You can get it at Campus Bookmark, too, and really all great bookstores around Mississippi carry it. And if you're looking for it, you're, even your local bookstore can order it for you uh, through their distributors. So be sure and check all that out. Listen, love you guys to death, man. You guys have a great weekend. Again, I'll be back on Monday, and uh, hopefully you're not having to listen to the show at midnight. But uh, thanks again, as always, for all the support. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.